Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Speak today to Brandon Monroe, CEO of Bannerman Resources, an ASX junior with uh, uranium assets in Namibia. He's also a uranium market commentator, and he joins us for our weekly catch-up on the world of uranium. So this week, we'll talk about the Cameco quarterly call and some of the topics discussed therein, including the restart of Cigar Lake, uh, the implications of some of the decisions being made by Cameco on the marketplace and for our Crux Club members, we get into a few of the topics, which give us a bit more insight and colour into some of the decision-making being made around the world, the impact on price, um, and what's in store for the rest of this year. So enjoy the podcast. Brandon Monroe, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm really well, thanks, Matt. What about yourself? Yeah, good week. Good week, I think. Yeah, a lot of new things happening here, so we're... Uh, Rearranging the the deck chairs uh, a little bit, a um, few new people on board, so it's all it's all it's all good. Looking forward to the weekend actually. But good weather, barbecue, bit of wine. Guess get the nice stuff out. I think yeah, that's the plan. Uh, well, you deserve it. I mean, you've been doing so much with your business, and just the responses and the comments that you're getting are epic. So I think you can reach high on the shelf with this uh, wine for your barbecue. Okay, very very high. Very high, Brandon, this week, and I'll tell you. Did you uh, have any write, any writing for your wife, perhaps? Permission? I, if, if, if you're insinuating that I, I don't wear the trousers around this house, you'd be perfectly correct. Um, <laughs> well, why don't we, we're going to dive first of all, though, before we do, we've got a bit more work to do before the weekend's here. So, um, Let's talk about what's happened in the world of uranium this week. So, big thing of this week was Cameco's quarterly call. Some, I mean, a lot, a lot discussed, but there's one topic at the top of everyone's minds, and I think the these uh, prices that uh, we saw in the market afterwards would tell us that people had a strong view as to what the impact of that might be. So, I'm talking clearly about the restart of Cigar Lake. What was your take on that? Okay, so first of all, for anyone who missed the call, Cameco have announced that they plan to restart mining at Cigar Lake. And they believe they can initiate that fairly quickly. Um, all of their staff are still on full pay. So getting them back is really just a case of logistics and managing it all safely. Uh, it, they started that at the beginning of September. They'd expect to be in production by mid-September, for example, after doing a little bit of uh, maintenance work after that period that it's been off. So the market uh, didn't seem to like it very much. And I guess on the one hand, that's not surprising because the average uranium punter would have preferred to see Cigar Lake off for a lot longer and a lot more pounds suppressed or sequestered from the market. Um, but I think we just need to remember something. They initially announced that Cigar Lake would be temporarily suspended for four weeks. And it's going to be down for the best part of six months. So it's more than a uranium investor could possibly ever have wished for at the beginning of the year. So some of the commentary being unduly critical of Cameco, I think, is just misplaced. Well, yeah, I think it, this frustration, though, because this, this was seen by many as an opportunity to actually drive this price discovery in the marketplace. So I think it's born out of frustration, not, not necessarily... 
anger at the management team, but just the the, the kind of missed, perceived missed opportunity, right? So, so I think I think there's a little bit of that, and I think the as we saw a lot of red. Uh, in the market yesterday with prices. Even Kamika, I think, was down as much as 17% yesterday. So, But it's short-term. It's a, it's a short-term reaction. Possibly quite a good buying opportunity, I, I, would, I would argue. Um, but what, what else did they, were they able to say about this restart? Because, you know, it, it's not just about restarting in September. It's the rate at which they are able to do so. Any thoughts on that? Well, the first thing is they didn't, uh, portray this as an absolute certainty. It's a plan. It's what they would like to do. Um, it's what they're working towards doing, but it is still subject to it being safe to do so. And And Tim Gitzel really emphasised that the safety of the employees, their families, the communities and the, the country at large comes first. Um, interestingly, it's also subject to some consultation with the community leaders in northern Saskatchewan. Uh, and ordinarily, you'd think, well, gee, that's a, that's a bit of a lottery. What's going to happen there? But Cameco is very measured with this type of thing, and they're quite conservative. So I don't believe that you can jump to any great uh, conclusions or expectations that, that that's going to be a blocker. I think unless Cameco felt very uh, solid in their relationship with those parties and how they think they would react, I don't really see that being a likely cause of a delay. Um, now, in terms of how they'll bring it back on, this is an underground mine. Um, it's quite conventional in general terms. It's highly robotic, et cetera, et cetera, but it's still an underground mine that is designed to be operated at full tilt. And full tilt from their numbers is exactly how they plan to do it. When you take their numbers and do a little bit of back calculation, they're looking to generate 5.6 million pounds between when they turn it back on and the end of the year. So that is running it at full steam, probably um, working a little bit of stockpiles through to get a, a bit of a hit at the beginning as well. Um, the final thing that I'd say about it that was quite interesting is Tim Gitzel flagged that there was a good chance it could impact 2021 production from Cigar Lake. And he pointed to deferred development decisions, et cetera, et cetera. So we can't just assume that it's going to be up to its... Uh, 18 million pound capacity next year. So there's a good chance that both in Kazakhstan, but also with this enormous uranium mine in Canada, that we'll see some sort of a hangover into 2021 from this production disruption, assuming that they do manage to get it all started and operating effectively this year. I mean, great point. Um, because this, I want to come back to what people infer from this, investors, retail investors, I suspect, inferred from this, people you know, selling, selling off yesterday, they thought that there's an opportunity for Cameco to, you know, sweep up any kind of loose uh, pounds in the marketplace, um, likewise with Kazatomprom, and um, that would give them the price discovery, which would then lead to hopefully some, you know, gains on, on, on the stock markets for them. Okay, so that, 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 was, the, that was the big hope. Even if they go full tilt from September, beginning of September, end of September, it, they're not playing catch up on the lost pounds this year. But what do you th what do you think the, is going to be the reaction in the marketplace as far as utility bars are concerned? Does this give utility bars a bit more breathing room, or actually, quite frankly, they don't care? 
that they've still they're still focused on their own problems elsewhere. I think it's more of the latter. Uh, I don't think you'll see this significantly change the behaviour of utility buyers one way or another. Interestingly, one thing that it might well do is give utility buyers that little bit more incentive to be talking to Cameco. They now know that if they uh, are contracting with Cameco, it's coming from produced pounds, not purchased pounds. And there might be a little bit of that that came into Cameco's thinking with the, the timing and the decision to restart. But as, as we've discussed a few times, the, the utilities are not in the discretionary mode where they're waking up and deciding what do I choose to focus on today. They're fighting bushfires at the moment, and uh, this won't really make a big difference to that. If anything, it'll just give them that little bit more confidence that they know what's going on and that they don't have too many moving um, parts in this whole equation at the moment. Okay, so that, that's utility. So nothing's changed really from our conversation of last week on that one. People refer back to all the reasons why utilities are taking the, the time about this one. Let's look at Cameco's reasons for doing it. Why do you think they made this announcement now? I think they're motivated by a few things. Now, the first one is, and we discussed this many times over the last few months when you were posing, I guess, some of the thoughts from the punters out there that Cameco were making this move to try and force prices, et cetera, et cetera. I do believe that Cameco makes their decisions for the right reasons. And I do believe that this decision has been made by Cameco primarily in the interests of the community, its employees, um, the, the uh, country at large was pointed to. And I think you can take that on face value with Cameco. They're just that sort of company. The second reason is clearly financial. It's costing them eight to $10 million a month in care and maintenance. As I said before, they've still got all of their employees on full pay waiting to return to work. So they haven't been able to mitigate the expenses of this um, very well. And when you've got a plant and a mine like this that's ready to spring back into action, you need to keep everything oiled and looking shiny and so on. And that is an expensive process. They also pointed to the fact that they are buying now in the spot market well above the cost that they can produce. So there's a margin gain to be had by introducing produced pounds rather than continuing to buy. And look, the third reason, and I, and I don't have anything to go on here except perhaps a little bit of instinct, but I just wonder if they've got deep concerns about the reliability of production out of Kazakhstan. Um, if you put yourself in Cameco's situation, or imagine sitting on the board of Cameco right now from a governance point of view, and you would be asking the CEO, can you guarantee that by the end of this year, we will have primary produced pounds to sell into our, our customer contracts? Or is there a chance we will be entirely exposed to the market? And number one, it's a joint venture in Inkai, so they're not the operator. Number two, it's a long way away in Kazakhstan. And number three, as we've been talking about, um, things are not too rosy in Kazakhstan with its management of COVID. So I would expect part of their decision-making may be we need to have control of primary produced pounds as a fundamental risk management lever. Um, given that we are the second biggest player in this market and given that we've got such a large volume of pounds under contract. 
So I think it's those things. And I think when you start to think through those three different factors, I don't think you can blame them for making a decision to not hold off pounds and try and force a little bit more inventory out of the market, et cetera, et cetera. It seems fairly clear to me that their decision-making was sound. Yeah, I'd agree with you about doing the right thing. I hadn't appreciated the the scale of the losses on a monthly basis because you know, they've obviously done the numbers. They've worked out the arbitrage between producing, not producing, buying in the market, producing their own, um, et cetera, versus what they price may do going forward because they've done a few things which may inform that such as the spot buying that they've done the spot buying they've done in q1 versus q2 i mean maybe you want to elaborate on what's been going on there yeah so um when when you look at the numbers they purchased roughly four and a half million pounds in uh, the first quarter in the spot market and then with the disruption, they obviously realised they, they needed to do some fairly serious risk mitigation and also chase some of the cheaper pounds before it started to form a new base or a new floor. Um, so in this quarter, it's been effectively tripled, for their 14 and a half million pounds or thereabouts. So they've really got after it in the last quarter in the spot market um, and flagged that they will continue buying throughout the year and if need be, they'll start buying for 2021 deliveries as well. So they're indicating that they are prepared to use this big balance sheet that they've got to build inventories if necessary. And I would expect the necessary means that uh, Kazakh production doesn't return uh, this year. So, I mean, do you think that had any effect on the price gains on the spot market that we saw in early Q2? And was it enough to move the dial? And if so, what type of buying were they doing that it didn't affect pricing in Q3? It's a good question because we've talked about the plateau. And in fact, that was one of the um, analyst questions for, uh, that was posed to Grant Isaac. You know, what's going on with this plateau? And it seems like there's lots of people talking about it from his reaction. The buying that Cameco would have done initially would have been measured and careful. Even though we saw a big spot price lurch, uh, they would have been mitigating their own risks enough that they wouldn't have wanted to sponsor that in any way or to try and exacerbate that spot price lurch. Um, There was a lot of volume done early, so that was early steps taken, and I'm sure Cameco was a large part of that. And the other thing is that there were many references made by Grant and and even one by Tim, which was along the lines of, we felt very lucky to have accessed those pounds. So when they were talking about buying pounds either in the spot market or directly from other um, players, they reiterated that they were surprised that the pounds were available, that they they were very fortunate to have been able to get those pounds and so on. And they're not the type of company that sort of um, that tries to uh, gild the lily here or gold plate things. I think what they're trying to say is they didn't expect those pounds to be so easily available and they're pleased that they are, but they're not sure that those pounds are going to be particularly available going forward. Again, again, it's informing their decision as to, you know, get back into production if they can and, as you say, go full tilt. I mean, the the other point they made, they talked about the... um, Conversion market transition, sort of not saving the day, but certainly helping a lot. 
Um, is that something we can look to see? Well, I guess the Americans would say yes. Look to see more of going forward? Well, that division has certainly been profitable for them, which has helped them a lot weather some of this and given them a lot more financial um, stability. Uh, the it, it, conversions are a complex topic, as we've talked about before. Um, they talked a lot about the arbitrage between Cameco delivered pounds and Comerex or US delivered pounds and uh, the closure of Metropolis Works conversion facilities played a huge role in that. So I think I didn't get any clear indications from the call as to how they saw conversion playing out one way or another. What is clear is that utilities need to be bringing material all the way through the nuclear fuel cycle to generate demand for conversion. If they're still wearing off or working off their EUP, their enriched uranium product and their advanced um, fabricated fuels, then they're not going to be putting a lot of pressure on the conversion market. And um, Cameco understand that stuff really well. So I think they're probably, um, uh, they've got that part of the market measure and they're thinking clearly about it. Okay, so your overall, your view of the, the quarterly call measured as ever, uh, I'm not sure it gave confidence to the marketplace, um, but it's, they've made the right decisions for the right reasons. Yes, I'd say so. Somewhat subdued compared to the last calls, I'd say, if you, if you listen carefully to the tone. And again, that's understandable. They would have known that the message wouldn't have been well appreciated by everybody. Uh, so there would have been an element of reticence to delivering that message. And um, I think also they're not coming off a quarter of growing uranium prices like they were the last couple of quarters. So overall, uh, not surprising, um, somewhat subdued, but certainly not a trigger for the sort of sell-off that we've seen. So I'd agree with you, for, for people who are accumulating Cameco, they would have been rubbing their hands with glue yesterday. I bet. Well, look, I think it's time to move into the Crux Investor Club member section. So I'm going to say thank you very much for listening uh, today. I hope you enjoyed um, Brandon's views of the Cameco quarterly call and the interpretation uh, that he's given us. Uh, we're now going to move and talk about a few other topics. Quite interesting, certainly in terms of what's going on in the market with our club members. So uh, we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.